This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This week on the No More Late Fees podcast, Danielle and I are joined by legendary producer and author Linda Obst. That's how you say it. Linda's extensive career includes Adventures in Babysitting, The Fisher King, Sleepest in Seattle, One Fine Day, Contact, Hope Floats, The Siege, Someone Like You, Abandoned, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, and Interstellar, among many others. She's also written the books, Hello, He Lied, and Other Truths from the Hollywood Trenches, and Sleepless in Hollywood, Tales from the New Abnormal in the Movie Business. Please enjoy our interview with Linda Oaks. I'm Jackie. Okay. And I'm Danielle. Hey, Danielle. Just, yeah. We started the podcast a year and a half ago. We're best friends. We've been friends since high school, 25 Aww. years. And we worked at Blockbuster together. Oh, that's so. fabulous. <laughs> Was Quentin Tarantino there? No. <laughs> Unfortunately, not at ours. I forgot what like TV show or movie. What, it was like a trailer for it. Oh, it's the new Blockbuster show that's coming out. And one of the characters is like, how am I going to be come Quentin Tarantino if there's no video <laughs> store for me to work at exactly <laughs> it's a problem yeah it's it makes us a little sad we found a really great community of people who are nostalgic for this time period we cover movies from 1995 to 2005 and also people who are just there's a huge physical media community on social media that engages with us as well so we've we're like happy we're not alone, essentially. What social media venues are you on? We are on Better. pretty much everything, but we really are on Instagram and TikTok a lot. Um, yeah, those are our faves. And Twitter quite a bit. That's yeah. where we keep our podcasting community conversation. Yes, yeah. We've met a lot of really cool friends all across the world because of Twitter and podcasting. So it's been a wonderful journey. We love it. That's fabulous. I'm very excited for you. We're, <laughs> and how did you pick 1995 to 2005? <laughs> it's like our formative years. It So Jackie and I met when we were, nine, I think, 97. It was a combination of us, the movies we watched when we were in high school, and then the movies that were part of our existence working at Blockbuster. So it was just like the perfect time period. Got it. So you <sighs> want to... um. Do you know which movies I made in that time period? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. One of my all-time favorite movies, which is not streaming anywhere, I still have the DVD, is One Fine Day. Oh, I love that movie. I absolutely okay. adore it. The chemistry between George and Michelle is just fantastic. And yeah. I strove, and I still, to this day, Danielle can attest, 
I wanted her purse full of everything. If anyone ever needed anything, I was going to have it. And still to this day, someone's, do you have a bandaid? I'm like, oh yeah, let me grab that for you. She has a spoon. She has a knife. She has a fan. It's comes from being a mother. I'm not even a mother. (laughs) I was a mother at the time. That movie. (laughs) So is it true that you came up with that, the concept for that movie just I think you were talking about it in one of your interviews that you were getting massaged or just like how ideas would come to you wherever you were. I was lying on, I remember this so vividly. I was lying on a massage bed, which was the only way I could relax because I was both working and being a mom. So the only way I could legitimately close my door was if I was having a massage. And, uh, And plus I was so overwrought, just working so hard and being a, a mom. So I used to get them every other couple of weeks and I was lying on my massage bed and I was thinking, this is basically all I can do. I'll never, ever be able to meet anyone because I don't have any time between being a mom and being working and having to do all the things for school. I really will never, ever meet anyone unless I ran into them in a field trip. What if two single parents met because they both missed the field trip and they had to get their kids on the field trip? That's how it began. And I thought, I like that idea because single fathers are starting to be as much of a phenomenon as single mothers. Yeah, They at least have to take care of their kids a couple of days a week and or a couple of weeks in the month and they're learning what it is to be a single mother too because once you have full responsibility for your kid that's what you have right and it becomes more important than work i wanted to have them both on really critical days of work so they could feel as stressed out as i was (laughs) (laughs) and then i wanted them to be the two most attractive people who ever lived and nailed it (laughs) i also think because previous to this movie i don't think we saw george clooney in a rom-com setting before and so i think this was like he i think he was still on er at the time and he was was, right after er it was right after you so one movie like i think a george romero movie like oh dust to dawn from yeah, Dust no, Till Dawn. From exactly. Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. yeah. And I thought he was so hot. And <laughs> I had Michelle already. Oh, okay. And I was working with a very powerful agent of Michelle named Ed Lamato, may he rest in peace, who was one of the biggest characters this business has ever known. <laughs> and one of the bossiest people ever to rule the roost. And he had every movie, he had so many movie stars at that time. So he had Michelle and he was coming up with his own clients, needless to say, to play <laughs> against Michelle. And so I was having to run my ideas by him as well as the studio. It was very lovely. I suggested George Clooney to him. And he said, "If I will never approve George Clooney. I remember mm-hmm. this so vividly. I will never imp- approve George Clooney. If he gets the part, I will eat my hat. So he just was dead set against it. And I was like, but 
he's not a producer on the movie. So. <laughs> I was like, maybe I can get George and Michelle to meet. And that's what we did. We got Michelle to meet George. And she was very standoffish, of course, at first. And then he charmed her. And then she, she approved him. And so we got him. But it was hard because he had never done a, any comedy at all, except right. in repartee on ER. But then they were always running, right? Yeah. <laughs> and cracking through doors. And he was on Golden Girls too for a little bit there, right? I think back in the so day. So he had his, he'd been on every show. Yeah. Yeah, Roseanne. He broke out as a star, right? The big issue in those days was, will a television star work on movies? And right. Movies? And there weren't that many TV stars. Woody Harrelson was doing it around the same time. But there were the early group of movie, of television stars who were really big television stars who were just starting to potentially cross over into movies, though at that time, movies were very snobby. <laughs> and they, they really only considered their own movie stars. And so that was the little bump we had to get over. Um, and we, and I, what I did was, oh, and I remember what happened was he, uh, during this time, he was on the cover of Rolling Stone and he looked gorgeous. <laughs> And so I took that cover and I sent it to the studio, to Ed Lamato, to Michelle. I think that's what got me the meeting with Michelle and George. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and it was just, it was also a great script. Yes. The daughter of Neil Simon wrote the script, Ellen Simon. Oh, wow. And so she, it was hilarious. She could do one-liners that were in character. Do you know, you have a, you have a Peter Pan complex. You have a Captain Hook complex, do you know? <laughs> <laughs> there were some of the greatest one-liners in that movie. And I remember reading the draft she turned in when I was in Australia working on Contact and I couldn't stop laughing. I was in such heaven. It was such the best script that had been turned into me, just like without my working on it, without my development, just it was her first draft. And I wrote to her in the middle of the night from Australia saying, this is the best script that's been submitted to me in decades. I'm crazy about it. Oh my God. And she said, her dad said to her, maybe you should, he read it and he said, maybe you should return the money. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, man. Another funny thing about it, which people know about George, but he didn't like kids at all. So now that we know that he has twins and all of that, <laughs> it's really hilarious because he told Michelle he would never, ever have children. And she told him, yes, you will. And they made a bet. And oh, wow. that bet was on for ages. Of course, now he's lost. <laughs> but it had worked for a really long time. <laughs> and also, he wasn't comfortable with his daughter character at first. Oh, wow. Having to do scenes with her because he'd never done scenes with a kid like that. Comedy scenes with a kid. And so, she was so terrific. That's Mae Whitman. And you Mae had Whitman. her in Hope Floats as well. Yes, yeah. exactly. She's a terrific actress. She's fabulous. I, she's I love her pro. and everything she's in. Yes. She's such a pro that she totally didn't need George to take care of her, you know? Yeah. And he found her so self-sufficient that he ended up liking her and they got along great. But... 
it's funny when you think about it like I'm starting to think of all the movies he's been in and I don't recall him being in a ton of movies with young children I see he's had some teen children but not young children that explains it 100% (laughs) he just was not comfortable and then I read that he said that Amal's favorite movie of his was One Fine Day Aww, and she said, why that. isn't this the most famous rom-com ever? And I um, agree. So she really, <laughs> that must be the George she sees, right? Yeah. So she really enjoyed it, which made me really happy because that obviously made him proud. That made me proud. I just felt like he was so vulnerable. And it, maybe it's because he hadn't reached that iconic George Clooney movie star sensibility he just wasn't he was cheeky but he was still grounded I think once we get to Ocean's Eleven and stuff it's a little bit different I don't know I love that movie so much (laughs) (laughs) but speaking of children adventures and babysitting I have to tell you that is one of my all-time favorite personal movies that I watched over and over again when I was little it that makes me so happy we went to Chicago this year, and so it just oh. just seeing some of the iconic buildings when they far? get to go. Uh, no, unfortunately, <laughs> that was Vince D'Onofrio, right? Yes. yes. And now he's in the MCU. It's just full so circle. The, I know he and I are on Twitter together, and we always make jokes about stuff like that. He's a super <laughs> smart guy. He seemed, yeah. I think I first really started to obsess about him when he had his own Law and Order show. I was like, I don't even know if he needs a partner. He's just solving everything by himself, <laughs> essentially, on that show. He's such a good actor, and so he becomes. He's such a great character actor, and he becomes whatever character he's playing. Yeah. Like when he was in Hateful Eight, I'm like, that's Vincent D'Onofrio. Like it was mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually watch Hateful Eight. It is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't so, like that movie. Yeah. Adventures of Babysitting, that was like your first, was that the first movie you produced? How did you get it's to that the point? I developed, the first movie I developed was Flashdance. But the first movie I produced when Deborah Hill and I became partners was Adventures in Babysitting. And our executive brought the script into us that she founded as a spec script. And we read it and we just were bonkers for it. So we sent it to Chris Columbus and he hadn't directed yet, but he had been on set with Spielberg for all the Goonie movies. And he was a storyboard artist. So he knew how to block scenes on paper. So we knew he was really ready to direct. So we then, we had a deal at that time at Paramount and um, Paramount passed on it. So Deborah and I went out to a famous, we, for us it was famous, wasn't famous to anybody else, brunch at La Dome, which was then the big industry restaurant. And we went, the minute the script went into turnaround, and we ordered steak tartare, and we planned our assault on all the other studios with the script, and just wanted to just show ourselves that we were as strong as hell and we would be able to do this. And so everybody saw us eating steak tartare and planning our assault (laughs) on the studios. And then we sent it out and Disney really wanted it. And so Touchstone Disney. And so they flew us down to Disney World because they were all on a convention called Whoop-de-Doo. 
<laughs> and they wined us and dined us without wine, needless to say, because it was Disney World. <laughs> they gave us huge Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse stuffed animals. Do you know, like the life-size ones? Yeah. Um, and blinged us right out. And then we were at like whoop-de-doo events at, at all the venues at night. And we just had so much fun that there wasn't a chance that we would not make it at Disney when we finished that weekend. They owned our asses. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a part of the, because I, I know they made a remake for the Disney Channel a few years back. Yeah, um, they wanted me to be a part of it, but I was not because I didn't approve it. I didn't. They were really in total control of it. So they wanted my name, but not my participation. And so I can't do that. I'll tell you this. Linda. But my son just <laughs> did a version. Oh, he did? At Disney Television. So with terrific writers, but updated. So with social media and everything. So I'm hoping that one goes. It needs a star, but it's really terrific. Excited for that. The other one That's wasn't. The on that prompted one fine day. And the diaper bag. The other one wasn't, wasn't bad, but I could tell it was very different. It wasn't, the, bad. It wasn't no. bad. It just was, it was different. But and I brought my granddaughters to it. And they enjoyed it. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I just feel like I couldn't participate in something that I wasn't that I had no input on. It gave false a false impression. That makes sense. The beginning they tried of to get me to do it, but I didn't. The beginning of the movie. Have you seen To All the Boys I Love Before on Netflix? Yes. <laughs> the second movie, I was very excited because she opened scene by scene of Adventures and Babies today. I didn't and know that. Yeah, yeah. It's super oh, that's cute. Fabulous. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh love it. Because the first movie they have a scene talking about 16 candles so you could tell I that know. the author must really love that time period and i thought that was oh, a cute 16 candles spectacular yes so contact huge i had no idea the history behind how much work it took to get that movie created and the science behind it how did you become attached with that project carl sagan was a really dear friend of mine his wife was my best friend and they were out in California uh, doing the first Cosmos series here. And uh, so I used to go visit them all the time and just sit in their backyard and talk to them because they were the most interesting people that I knew and maybe that I'd ever known. They were super smart and fun. And at that point, I, I was just at the very beginning of it, I was just a development executive at Polygram or Casablanca, whatever it was calling itself that week. <laughs> and I said to Carl, do you have any movie ideas? Is there any movie that you would want to make if you could make anything? He said, yes, I've had a movie idea for a really long time. And he told me the story of Contact. And I was like, that is the greatest thing I ever heard. Let's do an outline. Let's do a treatment. We did. And my studio bought it and then it took forever for me to get back on it. Then he took it over my boss when I left him and turned it into a different movie. It didn't get made. It was set up at Warner brothers. And, and then after he failed for a bunch of drafts, turning her into 
a woman who was looking for her lost son, not an alien civilization, if you can believe that. <laughs> because as you both know, women don't search for meaning. Right. They only search for children. <laughs> so that's what he did. And then the studio, I was in the middle of working with them on another movie, and they said, we have a project you might be really good for, having no idea that I'd started it. <laughs> <laughs> what a full circle moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. You have to live a long time, but they do happen. And so they brought me back into it. And the first thing I did was to bring Carl and Ann back into it. Right. And return it to its proper roots. The boss I had, Peter Goober, had taken them out of it because Carl was too bossy. <laughs> <laughs> but movies like that are so important like there you look at tv shows and movies where women doctors women in science just because of a medium like movies and tv actually affect the number of women that go into that field it happened and, dramatically with contact yeah there are more women astronomers right now practically than male astronomers and for a while, there were women literally going in because of Ellie, becoming scientists because of Ellie Arroway. And whenever Annie and I do a speaking engagement together, <laughs> there are always women who come up to us and say, I'm an astronomer, I'm an astrophysicist, and I did that. I became one from watching Contact. That's amazing. Ellie. And it is, I think, the most moving Testament is even bigger than seeing the sweatsh the torn sweatshirt from Flashdance <laughs> <laughs> in terms of impact. That is so happy. Ta let's talk about Matthew McConaughey because I use so, every one of my movies. Yeah. <laughs> you notice. <laughs> Well, I, I happen to live in Austin, so I do oh. get occasional Matthew sightings. And of course, he's always at the UT games and he was at the March for Our Lives rally and he spoke and I just, it, it's wonderful to have him rooted in Austin and be yep. a part of our community. He's a real Texan. He was Absolutely. from Uvalde. Yes. That's a big deal. Yeah. I lived in Texas for... I had a house there for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. And so I have a tremendous soft spot for Texans and for hot Texas guys <laughs> uh, without the ones without toxic masculinity. Of exactly. <laughs> and they're, they're mostly in Austin. <laughs> and uh, that's what Matthew was to me. So in the first movie, In Contact, I did not cast him. Warner Brothers loved him. So Warner Brothers suggested him. He had just been in a movie with Sandy Bullock. Was it A Time to Kill? It was a thriller. Yes, A Time to yes. Kill. Yeah. And, and I thought he was gorgeous, but he's much younger than the way we had originally written Joss. Like we had seen Robert Redford for it. Like he was a grand man. But Warner Brothers, no. They saw hot guy. <laughs> <laughs> And I was open to it, and Zemeckis was open to it. I don't know if George Miller, who was our director before Zemeckis, would have been quite so open to it, but maybe. And needless to say, I grew to adore him. I saw him in Austin. 
a lot. And I think he came to my house in Fredericksburg a couple of times, but we basically see the world in the same way. Yeah. And so the movie that I cast him in was How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Was it true that you guys were worried about the age difference between him and Kate Hudson? Because he was about 10 years older than her at the time. Right. And so the two, the reasons we hadn't gone to him before was because of the age difference. And also there was, the guy was written for a New York advertising executive. Right. And you can't get more Texas than Matthew. (laughs) So I had to keep putting my brain around the idea of, so we just, in the beginning, we just passed on it because of age. And then we reached an impasse in casting. Kate wanted, what's his name? Luke Wilson. Oh, okay. Paramount wanted Sean William Scott. Interesting. Would have never saw that one. Yeah. Coming. And they did a screen test and it didn't work. So Paramount lost that round, but they wouldn't hire Luke Wilson for this part. So we were at this impasse and we had a great big gigantic meeting at Sherry Lansing's office, who's the grand am of the movie business. And she was like, I'm going to let Kate see my mean side today. (laughs) Nobody ever saw (laughs) Sherry's mean side. (laughs) I'm going to make her come out of this room with a choice that's not Luke Wilson. So I was nervous as hell for the meeting. And before the meeting, I was on the phone with ICM. It started with the same agent I was telling you about from that said no absolutely <laughs> not to George Clooney Ed Lamato he had all the actors and he was what about Matthew McConaughey and I was like why didn't we go to Matthew McConaughey before and I thought I'm going to bring this up in the meeting and so then the meeting happened Kate was late she flounced in looking so adorable that I couldn't even believe how she had a strategy and Sherry had a strategy. She was so disarming in her charm, in her outfit, in her insouciance that there was no way that Sherry could be mean to her. (laughs) (laughs) So she was just strong, Sherry. And she said, look, we've got to come out of here with a decision. What are you guys all feeling Do we want to put any other names out there? And I was like, this is the time, go for it. I said, what about Matthew McConaughey? And Sherry said, Matthew McConaughey. And Kate, Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) (laughs) And John Goldwyn, who has worked for Sherry, he was the president of the company, turned to me and said, is he available? (laughs) (laughs) I said, yes. He said, go see if you can close a deal. (laughs) <laughs> oh man that's, that's amazing, amazing. <laughs> and now, have you ever seen chemistry like that no uh, uh, off it's, the charts it's so good that movie it. top to bottom we actually did it recently on the podcast and we were just gushed the whole time oh, will you send it to me that podcast? absolutely yeah yeah i so, love that movie and, I worked and, so hard on that movie. We adore Kate Hudson. We bonded over one of her very first movies, Desert Blue. Then 200 Cigarettes. She's, everything she does is just- Almost famous. Almost yes, famous. We haven't gotten to that one yet, but yeah. we're excited to do that one too. <laughs> one of but my every, faves. Everything she does, it, it, it's 
And it's as you described her, it is just, she's so charming in everything that she does. She's Um, so likable. Yes, she is. Absolutely incurable. Okay. When she does that poker scene and she's, oh "Oh my God, (laughs) I laughed so hard on set. They had to practically take me off set. I was ruining the shots. I laughed so hard. She was so hilarious. She understood the humor of that scene so perfectly. She has brothers, right? And Kurt. Yeah. So boy, <laughs> did she know what would what guys would hate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and we had talked about, she improv some of that, didn't she? Yes. To disarm the guys on set. Yes. Oh. We had a- It was all completely a performance. She knew exactly what she wanted to land. And watch it now. I'm still astonished by it. How Perfection. It. And it's... that's another scene that's influenced by my son. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Because he said to me, if you're making a movie called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, you are going to drive away guys unless you have something there that they love. So I'm oh. like, oh, <laughs> ooh, I'm done. <laughs> It is one of those rom-coms that feels like you could go, it's not just for you and your girlfriends. You can take your husband, you can take your boyfriend. And I believe in that. I didn't want to just do it for girlfriends because we experience romance together with our girlfriends and also with guys and also with our lover women, whatever we have, we experience it with. And in this case, it was a guy and he couldn't just be the girl in the romantic comedy. And also it is a title that could drive men away. He was completely right if we didn't address it. Right. Yes. So we built up the comedy. We did a comedy pass with Adam Sandler's writer, Tim Erlehy, for the guys. Oh, wow. Okay. That's why they're so hilarious. <laughs> and then, and we cast it well. Yes. Oh, Tom so Lennon. perfect. Those guys are so good. Adam Goldberg. Yeah. And then I knew my son was like, you couldn't talk to him during a poker game. So it had to be a poker game. And it just worked so wonderfully in the script. It was amazing. We had a wonderful guest join us for that episode. And she works for Mac. And she actually got to talk to the makeup artist for the movie, as well as the costume designer. So she gave us so many beautiful nuggets of just even the choices of how to show her from being Kate's character, like, being herself versus when she was like, Crazy Kate. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like her hair being straight versus being curly and right. the makeup right. of being in love. It, it was just really fun to learn all the nuances and detail that went into every element. We love that movie. It was great. Yeah, it, it, we appreciate that thoughtfulness of down to the very last detail. It's going to just be an, an immersive story. And Kate was very involved. Karen Patch did a wonderful job. She's our costume designer with the yellow dress. Yes. But also Kate and I had a lot. We went to fittings. We approved the color. (laughs) We approved the back. We were so involved with that dress. And then, boy, it shows you why to get involved. That dress took off. And you want to hear something really fun. This is the most fun I ever had wardrobing a movie. When we started, Kate was still in, was in Paris for the end of a movie she was shooting there and she couldn't leave. So sadly, my <laughs> costume designer and I had to go to Paris, stay at Kate's <laughs> hotel and shop all the fancy stores in Paris. 
Oh no. For her work wardrobe. <laughs> oh my God, never in my life have I had so much fun. And then we were bringing all the clothes up to her room, to her suite at this most incredible hotel, all on racks and ordering room service. I'm like, I could live like this. That sounds like a dream. It does. <laughs> Literally a dream. And what? so if you, and next time you see her, see it, look at her work outfits. They're Yves Saint Laurent. They're, they're really wildly first rate. Because it's a, you know, it's a woman's magazine. What made you decide to have her have a career in being a magazine columnist? Because I, we did a video for TikTok about how the 90s and 2000, mainly the 2000s, that. are just, we <laughs> thought we were going to have a career as a magazine editor because of these movies. Did. So yes, there's you... one reason. So it's something I really understood. And also it's, a, and also Nora believed everybody should, Nora Ephron believed everybody should be a journalist before they're a screenwriter. Because you learn what the lead is. You learn how to ask questions. You learn how to put yourself in another person's life. And, and so you get these key skills. So Nora, like in Sleepless, wrote a woman's a newspaper editor. She did lots of women newspaper editors. And I was an editor at the New York Times Magazine. So I knew exactly how that worked. The other reason it's really great is because it gives you an action job. So you can go out and do stuff that you have to do for your job. And there aren't a lot of jobs that aren't like police and firemen. There aren't a lot of women's jobs at that time where it, you were compelled to go and find stories and then write them. So it gives you a good plot, plot to character device. We could talk about how to lose a guy for ten, in 10 days forever because it's just <laughs> Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn. Obsessed. We discovered her. <laughs> she did. <laughs> and now she's a, such a deal. Oh, yeah, she is. Oh, my gosh. I and can. How much fun is that therapist scene? So hilarious. So funny. Just scratching <laughs> the surface of what that woman could do. Oh, my God. She's but we amazing. realized she was brilliant when she was doing that scene. Kate was beside herself. She was so happy she had someone to play with. <laughs> and Matthew had to learn to improvise, do you know? Because these oh. two girls could have done comedy improv for the rest of their lives. They were having so much fun. Oh. Matthew, and he's hilarious in the scene, when he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, you First need to- I'm gay and then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You have to make a movie, Linda, with the two of them. I agree. Just, it would be amazing. She already. Who do you mean? I, Catherine Hahn and Kate Hudson. They okay. should be oh, in another yes. movie together. Another I like female driven comedy. Raunchy. Just fun. Them. Yeah, they love each other. That would be amazing. We all hung out together in Toronto. Oh, that and yeah, that was. That movie <laughs> was so delicious to make. Oh, everybody now, was happy. Now for Sleepless in Seattle. All, and there were so many just pieces that came together that makes that movie magical. How did you guys decide to get Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan? Because this was the second time they were together, but it was the first time that we really had that romantic comedy duo. Um, no offense to the first movie they were in. Oh, she wrote that one too, so. <laughs> <laughs> so Nora brought me into Sleepless when she was brought into Sleepless to 
after she did a rewrite, they asked her to direct. And I had done her directing debut. <clears throat> this is my life. So she wanted her producer to, to take care of her on set, to be her producer. So she had just finished the draft and it was going to Tom Hanks, who's all, who they both wanted. And who another director that uh, Tom had worked with had written to Tom saying, I'm not sure if Nora is a director. So it was oh. easy. Nice, isn't it? Gosh. I know. I'm not going to say who, but Nora and I never spoke to the person again. <laughs> <laughs> not that I hold grudges. Not at all. <laughs> 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 so Tom read the script, liked it, but felt there was way too much of his scenes with the kid. <laughs> And, he, and the kid had all the great lines. So it was a little bit of a George Clooney problem, right? In that, hold on, I'm not going to be the straight guy to a hilarious kid. That's a waste of Tom Hanks' talent. And so Nora understood that. So she had to do a rewrite to secure Tom. And I worked with her on that rewrite. And then we got Tom. And we knew we wanted, Nora writes Nora. And that's Meg. So she has to play that part because I can't imagine anybody else that could do it. And maybe Julia Roberts could have done it, but Meg was more next door neighbor type. Yeah. Of a person super smart, but, and neurotic, but, but you know her, right? Where yeah. I think Julia Roberts was a little more glamorous in that way and for, and a little more distant. So we got them. And then we, the hardest part of that movie was casting the child. Yeah. And so the one we wanted was not available. He was doing a show for TriStar Television. We were a TriStar movie. So we went with another child who was very good in his audition. And we got to set. And day one of shooting, he froze. Oh, no. He couldn't act with Tom Hanks. He just wow. froze. And his mother was very concerned. And was like, we can make this work. We can make this work. But Nora and I are off in a corner going, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. We better get a backup. So we took a couple of more days. We brought a speech coach, an acting coach. We tried it one or two times with the mother really pushing. But to us, it seemed like the child didn't really want to do it. Or the child wasn't prepared to do it. And that's a terrible feeling. We're both mothers. We had kids the same age, and we were not going to put a child in a situation in which they were even remotely anxious. So I had to go find another person. While we were shooting, this is one of the, that's the first time that ever happened to me, and it's really tricky. Fortunately, Sleepless was structured in a way that Megan and, and her pals had a series of scenes together, and Tom had a series of scenes with his son and his friends. Mm -hmm. So we had started with Tom in our original schedule, but because of this, we flipped the schedule. So we were just shooting Meg and her scenes for the first half. And that gave me like two and a half weeks to find another child. So the first thing I did was to go back to the one at TriStar Television that we wanted in the first place right. and start begging. <laughs> <laughs> Not beneath me. <laughs> you do this combination, producers, of begging and going over their heads at the same time. 
So I did that for about eight days and we made progress for Mar Ross Malkin and he really wanted to do it. So TriStar Television was able to write him out of the series for that period of time. And he came up and he started shooting the, on day one, he was perfect. Never needed two takes. Oh. He got two takes, he got many takes, but <laughs> he didn't need it. He was just a complete pro. And he's on my Twitter too. Oh. <laughs> I can tell you how many of these actors I'm in touch with. It's so lovely. Yeah, that. That's, that, that's a of lot of- All of them babysitting. All oh. of them, from Anthony Rapp to, to Keith Coogan, who I hear from all the time, and Keith Coogan's wife, to obviously Elizabeth Shue, to Vince D'Onofrio, just all of them there. It's just the most wonderful thing when you make a lifelong relationship on set like that. But it also says a lot about you and your character that people make the effort to want to stay in touch with you. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you. I like to think that I'm a mom on set. Yeah. I make sure that everybody has really good food and really good <laughs> medical care. <laughs> so I have, the most, I have the most overworked medics in the world on my set. <laughs> uh, also, I get good parties. I can imagine. <laughs> I, I just recently watched Angus Thong's Imperfect Snogging because on TikTok and Instagram, the way people obsess about that movie, it was, a, I guess it was because it's a little bit outside of are like eight time frame, but it was, I loved it. Well, she's good, Gorinda Charter, right? She's yeah. Beckham. So she's a good director. And this book is to England what Eloise is in America. Okay. It's, oh. it is a standard classic preteen Bible. So for everyone in England, it was like, the most important book they could adapt for all the, teen, the teens and the preteens. I read the book for the first time when they gave me the movie, you know? So I think that's why it feels more like an indie. You're right. It, I enjoyed it, watching I mean, it again. You did a good job and it's a yeah. good cast, right? Very good cast. But I was just reading an article in Variety that Hugh Jackman, it's an interview with him and he was talking about how he interviewed for, he didn't, to be in miscongeniality. No, he had your movie and he, all his agent sent him to also be. Oh, I read this, yes. And he bombed apparently, but I guess his heart wasn't really in it too, because he felt conflicted that he had already booked something. So it was interesting. And I was like, I think that worked out perfectly because I felt like he had really good chemistry with Ashley Judd. I don't know mm -hmm. if it would have been the same in Miss Congeniality. And I think someone like you is a very underrated rom-com bop, I would call it. It's <laughs> really fun. And you're my new favorite person. <laughs> <laughs> Even my not hits you like. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, if it's a rom-com, I'm gonna watch well, it. She's the great, the, you guys are the greatest. <laughs> Someone like you was just, it, it had such heart and it showed like Ashley D Judd in the scene where she's like sitting in the kitchen eating ice cream. Yes. Like, that's what women do. Yes. Like <laughs> we need more of this on screen representation matters. And I know that Hugh auditioned for our movie 
by singing Oklahoma a cappella in my office. How do you not cast him? <laughs> it wasn't a prayer I wasn't going to cast him. <laughs> and it's the only time anyone ever sang a cappella in my office in my career of 45 years, whatever it is, some ridiculous number. <laughs> As you can see, I've gone gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone like you, I think that was one of those blockbuster movies. Like we would either rent it or just got a discount. And so I would just buy like a stack and just watch them for the first time, keep them. But I watched that one quite a bit. Again, I love rom-coms, so it doesn't matter. Hope Floats. I did not know Forrest Whitaker directed that movie until recently. And I was like blown away by that. He did a gorgeous job, too. He did. He, he did. Yes. My only frustration with Forrest was that between every scene, he wanted to release birds. What? Fly across the screen, which you may, next time you watch it, look for all the birds. <laughs> because it took so much time from shooting and it was like a signature thing that he wanted to do. And I was like, oh my God, it's bird hour again. <laughs> that would scare Jackie to no end. She's so terrified much. of birds. That's hilarious. And he released a huge amount of birds after all, all these different scenes. The other thing that he did that was just amazing was the really big scene that Sandy has when she's at the toilet and she's crying and crying. It's like the most dramatic moment I think she'd ever shot up at that, until that point in her career. Yeah. And so she really needed Forrest to help her through that scene, right? Yeah. And we always, we knew how far we were away from shooting it all the time. Yeah. So then we got to the day and then it was like lunchtime before we'd start to shoot it. And uh, Sandy was ready and we couldn't find Forrest. Oh. And we couldn't find Forrest and we couldn't find Forrest. So we were like looking for him in our fabulous golf carts, which we had all decorated the UT Longhorn, <laughs> Longhorns on them and shooting in the best town in Smithtown, Smithville is just phenomenal. And literally the whole town laid out like, like the script. So we were look, driving around in our golf carts looking for Forrest. Sandy's getting jumpier. And we found him meditating deeper and deeper into himself. And he came out to his assistant and said, I'm ready. Walked to set, closed the door to work with Sandy, and was so grounded and deep and resonant with her soul because of where he'd meditated to, wow. that wow. she was able to start doing it on the first three takes. Because he knew he didn't want to have her there all afternoon, just trying mm -hmm. and trying, it won't right. work. So he was actually preparing when we couldn't find him. And I've never seen that preparation before. And of course it's an actor's preparation, mm -hmm. but it's also an actor-director's preparation because he was giving his actor's preparation to Sandy as a gift so she could stay in his zone and be that focused, just the two of them. And she did phenomenally. So those are some of the things that Forrest just blew me away doing. Also our cinematographer, Caleb Dachanel, one of the most famous in the world. He's the dad of Zoe. Oh, wow. And I think it just looks gorgeous, that movie. It does. It's that... The cinematography is just beautiful. That's Caleb. You might look him up someday. He's just astonishing. 
And I feel like it's one of those movies that I think when I originally saw it was much younger. And on the surface level for me, obviously I loved it. Love Sandra Bullock, everything. But now being older, living a little bit more life, it just feels a little bit more rooted for me deeper. Like I understand a lot more the concepts than I did when I was younger. So it ages well in that aspect for sure. I can't wait to do that one. Boy, once again, May was great, right? Yeah, and Harry Connick Jr. How that was that had to be one of his first. I know he was Independence Day, but that was very small. Like this is a different role for him. Sandy really spearheaded that. Really, really thought he could do it, and of course, he made a great Texan, (laughs) (laughs) great cowboy. Yeah, and and he did a beautiful job, and he was a complete pro. I think. I just, I love that movie. And it shows you my love for Texas, that movie, I think. Yeah. And Sandy moved to Texas after that movie. Oh, I didn't know. I knew she lived there, but I didn't know when. And that's because of Hope Float. She started scouting where we would do the dance club. And we just went all through the hill country. And she was falling in love with it, just like I had on Bad Girls. So we both ended up living there. Ah. Jackie's always wanting me to move to Texas. I live in silly Florida still. Oh, she might get her great. wish one day. Do <laughs> you have any advice for any women who, not just in the industry, but in the arts, like what are some words of wisdom you can leave, even for us, <laughs> as we try to navigate this? I think the key thing about having a creative life is to stay in touch with your source with the thing that inspired you to start working in the first place. What is it that is your passion, as Flashdance would say, right? (laughs) You have to take your passion and make it happen. So the goal of the first part of your life is to find out what that passion is and match it with your skills. What part of this passion do I have or can I cultivate special skills for? And then, to once you start doing it, not lose the reason you started. I think the reason I can still make hits and that I have this long career is because I'm always working from the same teenage place. I'm a teenager who loves to talk about romance with my girlfriends, right? And I develop from that enthusiasm. It's also true with my curiosity for science and my desire for women to have adventurous lives. Those are things that I've cared about my whole life. And when I go back to what it is I believe and care about, and I know that what I'm reading is resonates with that part of me, then I can spend the fiver in the case of interstellar or contact 14 years (laughs) (laughs) that it takes to get it made. Yeah. And it's worth it. That's amazing advice. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you guys for loving our movies. Thank you for making them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Truly. This is the reward you get in your 70s. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're still doing it. You get to find people like you who are still enjoying the work you made. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you have any questions or thoughts about our interview with Linda, make sure to hit us up at No More Late Fees on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And stay tuned for our next episode.
And as always, be kind and rewind.